Learning should always be fun. It's proven. When you make it fun, kids will remember. Here at Stepnetics, we believe in teaching kids about science, technology, engineering, and math by building projects. These students are building robots, rockets, electrical circuits, cars, and much more. STEM surrounds us, and the biggest companies in the world are tech companies. Let us help you support your little scholars and prepare them for the future. For more information, visit us at stemnetics.org. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome back to Realistic Sustainability. I'm Mike, and I am here with my baking brother, Nick. Baking brother. Well, ironically enough, as you messaged me today asking if I was able to do it now instead of 1 o'clock because, you know, our schedules are all discombobulated, I was putting something in the oven. I was baking something. Or starting to. Not a pastry, though. Don't get your hopes up. I see that sweet tooth a-tingling. It was some roast beef tips. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, it's... I gotta tell you, last night I saw the video that you're doing with the cooking, which up until this point, you've talked about baking, you've shown a few completed dishes, but you've, or not baking, but cooking, and now you're actually teaching it in a sense, and I I like those videos. So yeah, I threw it together yesterday, I was going through my fridge and I found some herbs I had to use up and I had some citrus I had to use up and I figured that's the best thing to do with it if I'm not going to cook right now is to make a compound butter I can use later and so I recorded it now the actual video to start with was like eight minutes long because I sat there and talked through every step and a lot of uh, a lot of videos of me speaking and then as I was whittling it down I was like no I can probably just get rid of me completely voice it over and get it down to about a minute and it worked out yeah it was really quite cool I like those videos you should do more of those uh if if the kitchen allows i probably will i kind of liked it and a few people that have seen it seem to enjoy it so well and i might learn something and i'll learn to keep moisture in food and all kinds of things okay well good to know but by, <laughs> by, by the way uh the kids now think it's hilarious that i ask you stupid food questions and i'm i'm really doing everything in my power to stop them from doing the same what do you mean uh, when I would say things like, hey, on your menu, I see you have meatballs. Are these the, the, the meatballs for weddings? I knew I was being funny. Well, the kids found that to be hilarious. So now they are wanting to send you the same kind of goofy questions. I've told them no. And as soon as you see Addison show up on the Facebook chat thingy, just know that that's what that's for. Good to know. I will say that I do not believe for the most part that there is such thing as a stupid question. I do think that those questions are a lot cuter coming out of the kids' mouth than yours <laughs> because <laughs> I tend to take you seriously most of the time. So when I get a question like, example, are those the wedding meatballs? I don't know what that means because I'm a I'm a culinary prostitute. Like if you if you want meatballs at your wedding and you're going to pay me, I will do whatever you want. I'll sauce them however you like. And so when you say, are those the wedding meatballs? Sure. At someone's wedding, I think they were, but I don't actually know what you mean. If anything, and ends up being the ones that are in the, like the, like the mushroom 
sauce, gravy stuff. Mm-hmm. Those are Vinny, those are funeral meatballs. I mean, if I had to give them a label, those are so predominantly funeral items. Man, people eat those all the time. It's like when someone kicks the bucket, that's the first thing they go for. That and ham. Well, how come no one thinks that I can be funny and goofy too? I do that. I like sending funny, goofy things, but everybody takes me serious. No, it's not that I don't think you can be funny and goofy. Um, and all for all intents and purposes, when I was a little kid. All of the the stuff that was becoming mainstream and popular from Adam Sandler and, and between his SNL days and the movie days, I never knew about with the movies or SNL, but I knew about them from things you would say or do or jokes you would make. So I just for years thought that that was all stuff you made up. I had no idea Adam Sandler existed until I was a teenager and I discovered the water boy. And at that point, I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But for years, I thought you were the funniest thing in the world. Nice. I did not know that. That is awesome. That is fantastic. Uh huh. Man, I wish I could have stayed like that forever. I wish you could have made millions off it, but nope. That's a- yeah, it happens. So this week we have a conversation that I'm going to first preference. Well, you know, this is a, a sustainability show, and we sometimes don't talk about some of the more basic sustainability things. We talk about either cultural or social things. The topic today is something I learned probably in my mid to late 20s that I didn't even think was true, that my mom kept picking on me and telling me it was a thing, it was a thing, it was a thing until I ran into a handful of situations. Uh, Actually, I take that back. I was even older than that. I was in college, so that was my late 30s, and that it affects every one of us. Sometimes we know it affects us, sometimes we don't, but it greatly reduces our ability to be sustainable financially or in many other aspects of our lives. And what I want to talk about today is a poor tax. Yeah, so the the term poor tax, I remember you throwing around years ago, I mean, probably over 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And every time I would want, because I was living with you, for those that didn't know it, would want to start a subscription or I'd want to buy something. You would look at me and go, how much is it for a year? I'm like, I don't know. It's this much a month. And then you look up the year cost and be like, well, you pay for the year. You save this much money. And then you call it a poor tax. And I just thought you were, you know trying to get on my butt about like saving money being more responsible i just found it to be really annoying but as i got older and i started you know to actually have to manage finances to survive i realized the value in in looking at things like that because ultimately what it boils down to is there are tons of companies and corporations that take advantage of people's inability to properly manage their finances and by doing that they make a lot more money and they can like cut your service off immediately, boom, and they don't have to worry about contracts and all this stuff. The biggest one, I think the one that hits the most people, whether they realize or not, is your car insurance. Insurance is ridiculous. And long before we had subscription services and Netflix and streaming, we had car insurance. And car insurance, if you pay for a year for most people, is anywhere from 15 to 20% cheaper than it is if you pay for a month. And when you're paying, you're looking at anywhere from 2000 to $3,000 a year in insurance, that 15% is a lot of money. At least in well, my opinion, it is. And it's insurance. It's not like it's reducing the risk that you yeah. paid in advance. Because if you back out and say, okay, I sold the car, I don't need the insurance, they give you a refund. So it's not like, hey, you're reducing some kind of risk. You live in the same place, you're driving the same car, you're doing the same things. But if you pay in advance, it's marketably cheaper. It is. And it's also something that you actually have to have. It's not something that you have an option in. If you are going to drive a vehicle, 
you have to have insurance. It's the law. So if you're required to have to do something you don't want to do, why don't you make it as painless as possible and pay the least amount you absolutely can to do it? Because let's be honest, none of us here like paying for insurance. None of us. It's a it, it's a darned if you do, darned if you don't scenario. If you pay for insurance for years and years and years, you pay for something you don't want that you never used, so you're out. If you do get into an accident, something terrible happens and you had to use it, then you got into an accident and something terrible happened and you had to use it, so you're out. So you're screwed either way. So let's just try to lube this up as good as we can and pay the least amount possible. Well, and it, remember, we're in Michigan. I don't know if every state has the same laws or even every country Correct. has the same laws with it being required but here in michigan it is re, it is a requirement to drive that you have to have insurance and you have to have certain levels of insurance based on if you have a loan on a vehicle or if you own it you're free and clear but let's dig into that just a little bit why is that a poor tax why is it why do i call it a poor tax because most people probably i would say the vast majority at least in michigan do not have the ability to pay their full year in advance. We know people who their tax returns, that's all it is. Their tax returns pays their insurance for the year, you know, so that that's how they manage it. But most people, I would dare to guess, is paying monthly because of a limitation in their finances. And what that's doing is taking the people who do have enough and giving them a discount for having the having that money, having the ability to pay it all at once. Again, I want to go back. We're going to keep on this insurance uh, example. It's not like it reduced risk. It doesn't change a single thing in their portfolio. What it does do is tells the company, I have enough pay, enough money to pay up front. That is it. So those who don't pay more. And that's just one piece of a very large financial puzzle that continue to put those who don't have that income further and further behind. I agree with that. But I also, and just for a few more seconds on the insurance thing, at least in Michigan, it, it comes with the potential negative consequences of if you look at your insurance, right, and you pay for six months down, you don't have to worry about it for six months or a year, whatever your your A company allows you to pay for and whatever you can afford. But you don't have to worry about it. If you're paying month to month, and we all know how bad finances can swing in the course of a month, and you miss an insurance payment and you go without paying for it and they cancel your policy, you don't have a policy for 30 days. They put you in what's called an, the at-risk category, which jacks up your rates for an additional six months. So for 30 days, poor financial budgeting, you're now paying an even higher rate per month for six months because you made a mistake and you weren't able to dig out of it. Now, I understand that, like you said, vast majority of people live check to check. It is very hard to budget enough to get ahead financially not have to worry about this kind of stuff but in my opinion as i'm getting older i'm looking at every single bill that comes in like look at subscription services and i'm sure we're going to talk about it here in a minute but when those little nickel and dime charges add up each one look at each one eight dollars a month okay that's a hundred dollars a year yes i'm rounding up a few dollars but when you add that's a hundred dollars and this is three hundred dollars that's four hundred dollars at the end of the year you're looking at a substantial percentage of your income yeah and it also breeds predatorial industries here in michigan and I'm not sure if i want to use names of companies but we have certain insurance companies that only do catastrophic coverage, which is the very bare minimum allowed to get a voucher. There's, If you drive all around Flint, Michigan, there's billboards that say, get your car on the road at the lowest cost. And what they're doing is they're, off, they're selling you the voucher that says you have insurance, but they don't actually cover anything. 
that's not really insurance. It is the very bare for if you hurt someone while driving, they'll cover that. But they're not covering vehicles. They're not covering property generally. And, and you're still paying them. It is just predatorial for those who can't do something else. Creating this market where those people who can't will never be able to because of these side markets and these predatorial companies. All right, so I'm going to step into my, my actual role here. And Mike, you don't have to worry about saying the names of companies. That's my job. I have no qualms with complaining about companies I see as a net negative. The company you're talking about is LA Insurance, and I don't like them, and they can go away. And there are a number of other companies that do the same thing. There's actually a lot of predatorial companies in finance and in things you have to pay for, and some actual finance companies as well, which I'll talk about next, that are absolutely catastrophic to your personal finances. But with, with companies like that, yeah, you can actually go in there and say, well, my need, I bought this car and my, my need tags renewed. They will sell you an insurance tag for two weeks just to get your tags for your car. That's it. Two weeks. So you can drive with a legal plate. That, that practice in its own should be illegal. Right. That shouldn't even be allowed as far as I'm concerned. And it's, <sighs> it's predatorial. Is what it is, because you're not protecting the person. The law is designed to protect the individual so that if they do get in an accident, the rest of their life isn't handicapped by finance. Yeah. Okay. That is what the law is truly supposed to be. The companies have kind of uh, manipulated it, but that is what it's supposed to be. And what they're doing is finding loopholes around it and putting people at higher risk. The same people who are generally high risk to begin with, and I don't mean because they're bad drivers, I mean... Because if they have a $1,000 bill, that is catastrophic. So yes. it's taking the people that are most vulnerable and giving them an opportunity to put themselves in a worse situation. Well, they, that, I agree with that. But what I don't think people really grasp with the notion is that we're not minimizing the, the, the financial burden of paying you know, hundreds of dollars every month or $1,500 every six months. Like it's a lot of money to pay for things like insurance. But my God, it's a lot more money if you have to have experience the worst case scenario. If you're driving down the road and you don't pay attention, or let's say your brakes go out. as something I'm very familiar with. Your brakes go out in your vehicle. You can't stop. Well, you run over an intersection, hit a telephone pole, knock it down. It smashes someone's car. You know, you look at that accident, you come out of it okay. No one's physically hurt. But the financial damages that that was just caused by that little problem, that was a total accident. Like, you can't control your brakes going out. We're going to destroy the rest of your life if you don't have insurance. That's thousands and thousands of dollars of personal property damage. And then you look at the telephone poles you have to pay to have that replaced and all the stuff that your insurance would take care of. And if you look at your coverage and your insurance, there's 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 a lot of coverage, different coverages. You probably don't realize it's a lot more than just saying it's PLPD, like, oh, I, I can drive now. It actually covers you in a lot of different scenarios. And I'm talking about the best of the worst, where there's no lives lost, no one's getting hurt or anything like that. Once that happens, once you transcend into that, you start looking at a whole different gambit of problems. And all this boils back to a predatory company making it hard to actually be responsible with your finances. Now, I'm not blaming the company and the fact that people aren't responsible, but I am saying that when you already have a a predisposition to bad habits. They have companies that take advantage of that. It's a net negative all around. Well, and there's not going to be any shortages of examples. Trust me. I'm going to tell you where I first saw this. It was it was years ago, and I used to live in in the Flushing area. If any of you are in Michigan, you kind of know that it was. Uh, my mom 
lived there. So I was always there and I, I had moved to Genesee. And so I was passing through a lot. And so what I would do is on the North end of Flint, where, where I spent a lot of my time helping kids, I stopped at a grocery store. Now, during this time, I was very frugal. I was constantly looking for clearance and running from sale to sale to keep the house full. Well, in Flushing, I was able to find a handful of items that were really a, a great deal. So I figured on the way back, I would stop at Clio Road and get the same thing. They're both Kroger's. They are within, uh, what is that, two and a half miles from each other. Yeah. The prices were dramatically different. Now, I brought this up in a sociology class, and what I found is that the really hateful people had an answer for why, but it's not a reality. So in the, in the North End store, the same exact item, two and a half miles away, was about 20% cheaper. That the items in the Kroger store over there on Clio and Pearson were almost 20 to 25% more expensive. Now, the answer in my class was, well, because everybody just steals everything. Oh, or, that's not true. Or because they have food stamps and you can bring up the, you can crank up the price because it's not real money. Oh, so Those were true. the two ugly comments that led to an, uh, a heated debate in the can, class because I don't I accept those. I don't accept those either. Can I throw two possible scenarios for the price difference at you before you tell us the real reason? Mm hmm. Okay, so just by hearing this and what I know about stores and retail, I would dictate or I would think that there could be two likely answers or a combination of both. One would be one store is in a county or a township or an area that has a higher tax bracket, higher taxes, and has to pay more just to exist there. And so their prices are going to be at a flat percentage higher than any, than any other store in a lower income area. The okay, other... so before you go to the other one, flushing where the prices were cheaper is by yeah. far a higher tax area than the north end of Flint. Okay. Now, the other one that I would dictate is that maybe maybe it's just what you're buying. Maybe that certain er certain areas certain items sell more so they have to keep them on the shelf more so the prices are a little higher because the demand for it is higher. You got to you got to look at some <laughs> things just sell at a higher volume in certain areas. And that is a cultural difference. When you're in a low income area where they eat a lot of cheaper cuts and they, they use a lot more seasoning, spices, and sauces, they actually eat better, make better food. There's far better cooking in low income areas when there's actually cooking than there is in high income areas. I will argue that until the day I'm born. The greatest dishes in culinary history come from the peasant class. Thank you very much. So, but those are the two things I would think. I wouldn't chalk it up to food stamps because it doesn't, okay, there's no such thing as real money. It's all ones and zeros. In 2023, all it takes is the, the oopsie doopsie push of a button and someone can clear your account or accidentally give you a ton of money they're going to take back anyways. So it, I don't believe that at, at all because it's food stamps. Yes, food stamps exist. Yes, the government gives us food aid if we need it and we apply for it and we're, we qualify for it. However, it doesn't matter how much they give you. The price of the food is the price of the food. So if they raise the price of the food, they're actually selling less. Because food stamps are food stamps. So if you have $150 in food aid and they raise the price of the items, you're going to get less for your money. So you're going to shop somewhere else anyways. Well, so here's the thing. They can't. So you want to know why they do this. It's not because, because, okay, let me start from the beginning. This is a corporate company, right? This is corporate. Yes. Do you know when you put items into an inventory system, it has a price? Yeah, of course. So now you have two 
of the same corporate buildings with different prices, which means they have to spend the time, the money, and the effort to take a skew, the, the you know part number, if you will, yeah, I understand, and, and create two different regions, which means that they've invested a tremendous amount of money in ex- extorting low-income areas because, not because they steal, not because of food stamps, but because it's a food desert and people can't travel, that they have much less mobility, much less accessibility to the things they need. It was either that Kroger or the corner liquor store for your groceries. So then even though the Kroger may be more expensive, it's still vastly cheaper than the liquor store. It, well, because you can't get a banana at the liquor store. You can't get a, you know, you can get a box of macaroni and cheese, but it's still cheaper at the Kroger, even though it's 25% higher than than other Kroger's, which means they had to build a separate data database for pricing and inventory systems just to extort low-income areas. I would be willing to wager that it, it's a little more complex than that. I would assume that when these stores go into into business and they look at like putting a new location up in, in a, a particular area, they probably have several pricing points that they that they set their standards at due to like what the demographic of the area will support. Because I know, for instance, VG's. We have a VG's right down the road here. I know VG's isn't the same as Kroger, but for all intents and purposes in Michigan, that's the example I'm using. There's a VG's and they have their beef tenderloins on sale it's been on sale for like a week now right it's 9.99 a pound it's not like it was going bad and they put it on sale the the meat manager knew a month in advance they were doing a sale on this date to this date they already had the notice to their store they already had all of the new signage printed ready to go whether they print it in-house or it's shipped to them by corporate i don't know it's irrelevant to this my point is is that it was already they already already told what they were going to be doing and as for the price changing for the most part that's pretty simple it's just uh, nowadays it's just an update in their computer system so when they scan an item the price they, they get the price that's why we don't have price tags on things anymore the only price that they have is going to be on the shelf where it's at um, if you even get that. And this this particular meat item, the beef tenderloin at nine nine a pound, their regular price on that's like nineteen ninety. It's literally half off. And so I went to another VG's and looking for the same thing because this one was sold out and they had they didn't have that sale going on. It wasn't they just didn't have it. Now, I assume that's because of the area it's in and what they what they can and can't support. Now, with that being said, I don't necessarily know if I would ever attribute trying to extort poor people. I do think that when you have no competition. It gets a little shady, I think, because competition keeps business honest. Well, and people can't travel. So in those areas, much like redlining with housing, Mm -hmm. which is a whole nother version of it at a high level, a lot of people rely on, you know, the busing. So it, it only goes to certain areas. It wasn't going into Flushing two and a half miles down the road. And if you don't have a vehicle and you don't have a way to get there, this is your option. They knew they were in a food desert. In these locations, which tells me all over, well, the region, I believe, I don't think they're national, all over the region, they're doing the exact same thing with all of their locations. So that is another version of a poor tax. There's even more, I mean, like I said, there's no shortages. The fact of bail bonds, that if I get pulled over for speeding, or let's say I do something that gets me taken in, and so does someone else, income matters in the legal system. That if I can pay for bail, let's say we both got mad and broke something. Well, we're sitting in jail. If I can make bail, I can go to work tomorrow. The person who can't make bail cannot go to work tomorrow. So now we're in this negative feedback loop that because I had enough money and did something stupid, I can pay my way out of it. Where the person who does not 
has to stay there, lose their job, reduce their income, and quite often ends up in jail for a much longer period of time because of it. I can get a lawyer. They cannot. Finances are dictating the punishment. That is also a poor tax because now they've lost another job. Chances are they have a mark on their record. So when they go to get a new job, it's harder. And we did the exact same thing. But I'll be fine. Well, there's that. And something that I I always thought was kind of, I don't want to say counterproductive, but I always thought was kind of crappy about that scenario is that let's say you do get, you get, you go to the bail bondsman, they bail you out. If you decide, or if you flat out forget to make your payment to the bail bondsman to reimburse them for what they put up for you, you talk about poor tax, the things that you're going to, you can end up right back in jail. They're going to revoke your bail. They're going to come take your stuff. And it's, it's, it's one of those scenarios where they should just have like a flat rule. I don't think people should be able to get bonded out of jail in that regard. Like that, I think that there should be a little more. I think, I think the system is barely functioning the way it is, but it's all we have right now. And I don't think it it's at its peak. I think it could be better. Um, something that I really hate, stepping away from the bail bondsman thing, and I'm not sure if you would call this a poor tax. I do think it's an example of like a, a predatory practice in the financial sector would be check cashing places. I think they are the devil. I think that when you go to a place and, you know, let's say you're a few hundred dollars short and you need, you need 300 bucks. Okay. $300 is a nice round number. It is easily an amount of money that could be hard to get if you need it, but it's not so much that it's going to cripple the rest of your life. You walk in and said, Hey, I need $300. Like, okay, well you do have, do you have a job? You're like, yeah, like you need to bring me a pay stub. So I know you'll pay us back. I'm like, okay. So you go, you get your pay stub and you, you go to sign up and you, you know, you went in there wanting $300. They, they will show you their, their chart, which shows you how much they give you. And then on your next payday, you have to come there and pay that loan back. Cause it, it only is just a, a two week loan. Mm-hmm. And then that loan will have a certain fee attached to it. So if you take 300, you probably got to pay 350 back, whatever. But here's where it becomes predatory. Oh, well you make enough. We'll approve you for 600. You're sure you couldn't use an extra $300. So then you're like, oh, you know, I pro- I really could. I need gas money. You sell yourself on this idea and you, okay, so you take that 600. The next one you come back, you're paying 670, 680, almost $700. Well, if your check is only eight or 900 bucks, how are you going to live? Now you're taking a loan out again. You're taking another six and yeah, you do this. Feedback loop. Yeah. And here, but here's the kicker. You have to do it. And most of these, most of these companies for eight, 10, 12 times for months, before they will allow you to enter in a payment arrangement that allows you to make payments until it's paid off without actually having to pay the entire sum at once. So you have to make sure they're getting $1,000 milked out of you or more before they'll say, you know what, thank you for your business, but we'll render this arrangement. You pay us 50 bucks for so many weeks and it's paid off well and good. And that that's terrible. I say that because on average, you know, if you work for minimum wage and you're making Let's say before tax, 400 bucks a week. After tax, two weeks, your check's probably like $650, $700, depending on what your deductions are and whatnot. That's literally what they rent. That's literally what they loan out. So that system is set up to take almost your entire check. Now, is that done on purpose? Some people would say, no, it's just a business. But I'll tell you what, you only see it in low-income areas. You don't see it in a really high-income, fancy area, do you? No, because they're taking advantage of a situation that's predatorial. Exactly. And so... When you look at these different types of businesses that prioritize what I would argue is an abuse of low-income 
people, it kind of makes you, at least in my opinion, kind of understand why there are so many people that are in low-income areas that are so upset and frustrated and angry that they can't get up, they can't go forward. But not only not only can they not do it, a lot of these these systems set up around them are literally set up there to hold them back. You know, there's this age-old expression, pull them up by their bootstraps. Well, yeah, I do believe people can pull themselves out of poverty. I do believe that. But first, you have to look at the culture. And if they're raised around these businesses that every waking moment are taking more and more of their livelihood, if they're not taught that different practices, that sometimes you got to eat a little crow to get something better later in life, you have to go without, you have to deal with hardship to survive. You have to be disciplined in budget, which I'm still learning. I'm almost 40 years old and it still kills me to not have what I want, what I want it because America. No, no one thought that was funny. Okay. Thanks. But my point is, is that like, there's a lot more to this and these poor taxes are killing us. They're killing a lot in a lot of areas. They are just destroying any people's possible future or at least their hope for a future. Yeah. Uh, and I want to go back to one, just one quick sentence about the crime scenario. If a crime that's committed can let you out with any amount of money, then whoever does it should get out without any money. That if the crime is so doesn't dictate that you should be in that in that box for your for you or someone else's safe and you can buy your way out. There shouldn't even be a discussion. You should go in, you know, do your fingerprints, take your pictures, and then you get out. Bottom line, it should not be a financial gain. Number two. Payday loans was on the list because it is a negative feedback loop that absolutely and always it, it, it's a complete business designed to get around the standard system and and prey on those in their worst moments. And it takes those opportunities and just just takes every penny from them. But it's not even just those because most of those are individually owned. There's very few large chains. They're more like franchises, but it doesn't even stop there. Let's look at corporate. I mean, I think the like one of the first conversations you and I had was Xbox. Xbox Live subscriptions, $15 a month or $60 a year. You know, they're look at Consumers Energy, our energy company in this area. You struggle to make a payment. If they shut you off, they're going to ask for almost $1,000 for the permission to pay your bill. That's a hard button to push, Michael. That is that is insurmountable for most people. That and, is, and it's a requirement. There isn't com competition. You have to there, have it. You have to have it in today's day and age. I guarantee someone out there is going, I don't have electricity, but that's that most people do have to have it to survive. It is how the, the pump works for your water so you can take a shower for work. It is how you, you generally can wash your clothes. Yes, you can. And, and that's another thing. If you don't have a washer, you have to go to the laundromat. That's another expense that's continuous. There's always another thing. Even bank use fees, overdraft fees. Oh, my gosh. Overdraft fees. Who came up with the idea that if you didn't have enough money, we would fine you? So I don't know, but I can tell you right now, one of the most heated conversations I've ever had in the professional world in my life was an argument over a cup of coffee at my credit union. So when I first joined my credit union, and I didn't know this, but they, had, they have a number of different kinds of checking accounts. And one of them was what they call the fee-free account, which essentially means that you you pay you pay a certain amount in when you open the account. It says that money sits in the account, kind of like invisible. You know it's there, but it doesn't show up in the ledger. It's just to say, hey, this is your stake of the company, and this is to keep your account open, blah, blah, blah. So fast forward a year, I'm living my life. 
I had gotten a cup of coffee at a, a big beer, a Starbucks or something like that. They didn't batch out their machine for a couple of days. I think maybe I got it on a Thursday. They didn't batch it out until like, I think it automatically batches after 24 hours. Doesn't hit my account until Monday. So the cup of coffee cost me $5, maybe, maybe five and a half and it batches out, hits my account. So my account was set up, like I said, it's supposed to be fee free to automatically pull from my savings account if there was no money in my checking. It just draws, it transfers the money automatically, pulls from that. It didn't. It overdrafted my account, $5 and some change, and then charged me a $35 overdraft fee mm-hmm. for a cup of coffee. Now, if I'm going to buy something with a credit card and I know I'm paying interest on it, if I know that, and I, but I have the option to pay, pay it off immediately, I'm incentivized to pay it off immediately because I don't want to pay interest on a $10 transaction. You know what I mean? Like, if you pay 9% interest or 8% or 10% or 12% over a period of time in any amount, it adds up quite a bit. So you're incentivized just to pay it off when you have the opportunity, boom, paid off, no interest. Great. So now I'm paying a $35 for a cup of coffee that I long since had peed out. $35. Yeah. The coffee wasn't brimmed with powdered gold. No, that's and that's what- it, and when, when banks open on a, on a Monday and they do their batching, they batch their debits first. Yes, they do. And then their income, they do it on purpose. So and then it. if you have a good account, let's say I, a mistake was made and I wrote a check that was too big for my checking. I, I, I forgot to pull from the savings or this or that. They just get a hold of me and go, Mr. Nazarian, we just moved this over for you. Don't worry about the fee. We've got it covered. And that doesn't happen when my son needs gas and overdrafts. So the less you have, the more they take. And that is the process that we're fighting today. And I say that because in order to have a comfortable life you have to be mentally sound you have to you have to be able to enjoy life to even think about working towards being sustainable so sustainable finances and i mean that just in a comfort fact is almost the base level and that's why i'm focusing on this today i've said it over and over again if you don't want to stress at work have a savings i agree with that because it doesn't matter what horrible thing some boss says to you you have a safety net you are okay and it changes your mental uh, fears, all these things that can come in because you're okay. Well, most of us are not. And those stresses are real and it makes it very hard to have a sustainable life. And then if I'm over here saying buy a more expensive thing than a, over, over a cheaper thing, it's almost impossible. So that's why we're focused on that. That's that's a big reason, but I have another contributing factor and I, I'm just going to speak to a personal experience I have. And if this resonates with people, great. And if not, and I sound like a loon, well, that's great too. I have found that when you're super stressed about finances, when you're living check to check, when you when you get paid and you the moment you see the amount on your check, if you're an hourly employee, you already know, well, this is my car note. This is my power. This is my phone. And that allocates me $150 for everything else for two weeks. When you have that type of stress, it is actually more common for people to go out and buy lottery tickets and buy extra sodas and buy candy and buy fast food and to buy these little tiny things that give them a momentary blimp of happiness that distract them from their stress, their day-to-day life instead of being responsible. They actually, that 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 grasp for happiness and peace expedites their problem or not shouldn't say expedites but it it multiplies it because they're so stressed and they're so upset that they don't know how to manage it so they make it worse and they don't realize they're making it worse but they are and i i'm saying this is someone that did that or did that 
Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're very broke. We don't have a lot of money. We get paid. Well, we had this bill and this bill and this bill and this kid needed braces and I got to do this. And I, I owe this person money and all this stuff. And then at the end of the day, I stop in the morning and grab a, an expensive cup of coffee because it makes me happy for that moment. Not that I could make coffee at home for pennies on the dollar. I could have. Oftentimes I do. But that made me happy. When you're stressed out and upset all the time and it becomes your new norm, you start being a little more less frugal with your finances because you're you're finding things that are making you happy. They're taking the focus off your sadness. And as tragic as that is, that's digging your own hole. Well, and taking that one more step, let's say you do put the effort. You've fought for a year. You have gotten five, six hundred dollars in the savings. You're starting to feel a little better. You're you're stressed out. You're making the bills. You're not really doing any living with your money. You're working, you're paying, you're working, you're paying. And then you got this little nest egg. You're coming up close to maybe tax time. You might get a little more. You get in the car, you turn the key, and the car don't start. Yeah, I understand that too. And that is that happens too. The fact is, is that individuals who struggle with finances have vehicles that, you know, drive on a whole rare at times or have a high interest rate on buy here, pay here lots for cars. The fact is, is that everything is designed to keep people in a certain position. And it's up to us to be able to identify those things. There's times that when I go to buy something and you hear stories from Jamie and stuff like that, I look for those things. I don't allow them. So it doesn't matter what I'm buying. I give them a price. This is how it works. And if you're not, then I'm not taking it. And then they, when you get there, they're like, well, you know, yes, we did exactly like you said, except for there's this fee in. So it's either this or that. We're only going to pay what we said we're going to pay. Because what happens is in many of these cases, they get you emotionally attached to what you're buying. And then they, well, you know, there's this, and then there's that, and then there's this. And what next thing you know, you're paying 10% more. I'm done with that. Now, it's not always happiness for the kids or happiness for my wife when, when I'm like, nope, we're leaving. Because here's what happens. They fix it before it's over with. But I have to be willing to walk away. And sometimes you do have to walk away. But that's a game that's played. That is another way to extract revenue to, in a sort, in a sense, extort. Get your heart set on something and then continue to inflate it. Same thing with houses. The, the worst thing I've seen as of late is we will not let someone buy a house and have an $800 a month payment. But, but we will all immediately approve them for a $1,200 a month rent. Yeah. So I will say that the rental situation, at least in mid-Michigan where we live, is a little outlandish. I, I'm not faulting the owners of homes. If you want to rent your home, that's fine. I'm That, you know, to each their own, make your money. But I think that when it comes to middle America and the amount of money that we have on a regular basis. When you're looking at you have, you have three kids or two kids and you're looking at a three or four bedroom rental right now, you're looking at anywhere from 1100 could be as high as $1,500 a month. Now yeah. I am no expert, but $1,500 a month is around $18,000 a year. $18,000 a year is a minimum wage, part-time job, almost a full-time job. So like either you're going to have one of you or your similar, all they're going to do is work to pay rent. That's all they're going to do. Their right. entire check every two weeks goes to rent, goes to rent. You, goes you to build, rent. you build no equity, which in middle America, your path to wealth has always been a home. So you build no equity, you pay 50% more at least, and you, it makes it even harder to save for the house you want. 
which is why in 2008 everything crashed because they were they started to say tell you what we'll give it to everybody we'll just make houses predatorial but that's a big deal when you when your apartment is 50 percent more and you get nothing but shelter your vehicle is always on its last leg but it's on 24 percent interest and you can't afford repairs when you go to the grocery store and you can't go as far because your your vehicle need you need to travel closer to home for fuel reasons or the vehicle's inability to go too far or you don't have the plate or whatever it happens to be then you're going to that expensive grocery store because well it's closer if you want these little joys in life you're charged more for them banks banks get around legal limits on interest rates by charging fees there's credit cards out there. They're like, hey, let us help you build your credit. You pay us $100 in a fee every year, and we will give you the right to have a $500 credit card. This is so you can prove that you're good with credit. Because again, a lot of the individuals don't have high credit ratings, and that just makes everything more expensive again. The fact that banks look at your credit rating, which by the way, can be because of a lot of things, not just your financial decisions, that they give you different interest rates based on what, what they're calling a risk profile. Is that really what they're calling a credit rating? No, what it is is what I call a predatory profile because if you're at a bank, let's say you have your particular financial institution, you've been there five years, three years, two years. You've been there for an extended period of time. You've been working the entire time. They see the money coming in and out of your account. Now, that doesn't mean they watch you on a regular basis, but at a couple of buttons, they can have a printout of your ledger. It's not like it's the data goes away. They can mm -hmm. see that you get paid every two weeks. And these are the bills. Like, they can see that you're there and that you haven't been running a negative balance, that you may be barely getting by, but you're getting by. And yeah. they still run your credit report. Now, I don't care if you have perfect credit or terrible credit. If you're still banking there and you're a member there, it, there's zero personal trust in, in these institutions. There's no there's no like relationship between the the, the customer or client and the institution who's abusing their money. And that bothers me. Like my, my, my main financial institution, like, cause I've always had great experiences for the most part, with the exception of my coffee incident with Frank and Muth credit union, they're great. But if you want a house, like say you want to buy a house, they only do the standard old fashioned mortgage. They only do 20% down. They, they will not mess with like FDA or any of the rural development, none of that stuff. And then they run your credit. And if your credit isn't in the mid to high 700s, they wouldn't even talk to you about it. And that for a member, that's very discouraging. Not that I've got 50 or $60,000 to throw around, but um, that's really discouraging. Like your institution you've been banking at for, for years, you're not good enough for them. They're happy to take your money and, and charge you fees for it. But you're not good enough for them to actually help you when when you need it or, or when there's something you want to try to take a step up. Because you had mentioned that, you know, real estate or in most cases, buying a home is exactly right. The easiest way for long term wealth to be built in the middle class or I say middle class, I mean, middle America, average blue collar workers. That's usually when you look at their wealth, like their financial profile, their portfolio. That's really what they have is their house. And they might have a couple vehicles. Maybe they've got a few blue chip stocks that they got through work or they were given or maybe they dabble in Robin Hood. But for the most part, when you're looking at a hundred fifty, two hundred thousand dollar number, it's because they have a home mm -hmm. and it it's really hard in today's day and age to to move forward with that. You know, it's 
essentially, in my estimation, when I look at the American dream at this point, and that, that, that term has changed for me over the years because my view and my perspective has changed with it. Right now, I think that my American dream is to be able to get up every day and know that I don't have to worry about anything being turned off, that my bills are paid, that we're happy and comfortable, and that we're living lives that we're not miserable doing. That's all I want. I don't want to be rich. I don't want to feel like I'm super special. I never wanted to be famous. I just want to do something I enjoy. I want to make people happy. I want to make people laugh. And I don't want to be broke. That's it. it, And that sounds like a dream for a lot of people. I can't be the only one that feels like that. No, you're not alone. Uh, That's I I see all the time. And and I know it's meant to be funny, but people will post on Facebook. I I don't want to be a millionaire. I just want to be able to buy beef jerky without checking my account first. That's $17 a bag. Yeah, me too. You know, so these little things, it is much more widespread, which is another reason why I work with, you know, political groups and my attempt to get my way of thinking across to them because politicians sit in the seats that leaders should be in. And I'm working to try to help people become leaders or at least think of these things, get them to work within communities so that when they do get elected as something, they don't forget all the streets they swept because that's where they came from. But you're not alone. Most people, uh, I think I just recently saw a, and I'm, I'm loosely quoting, uh, uh, no such thing as a loose quote. I'm not quoting. This is going from memory. I think it's somewhere around 78% of Americans, if they had a surprise $1,000 bill, would be it would be a con- catastrophic to their finances. You said how how much of a bill? A thousand dollars? Yep. Yeah. A, su- it is. a surprise thousand dollar bill would basically bankrupt almost eighty percent of America. Well, yeah. Think about it. Like, oh, we got this bill. What's it going to take to pay that? Two and a half weeks of work, but I need it right now. Right. Yeah. I agree so what? With that. So what this also does is it perpetuates that culture war too. So meanwhile, people are buckling down quite often, spending less on things that they they can. They're tightening the belts. They don't do maintenance on their vehicle or house or a part, you know, where whatever needs maintenance because of the cost, which creates l- bigger and bigger problems down the road. They're buying the cheaper food, which creates health issues. You may or may not have health insurance or dental, creating life-causing problems in the long term. These are other aspects of a poor tax. These are other things that we have to look at. And I know that a lot of people see this stuff. They may or may not attribute it to what I'm calling a poor tax. But I want to say these things out loud because when we stand there and look at something, a bill comes in. I want us to at least think, can we do it? Can we reduce our our long-term cost by making a good decision now? And the answer may be no right now. But if most of us stopped paying that poor tax, if we started to say no, never mind, it would slowly go away. And those predatory industries would go bankrupt. And it would really, of course, hurt my heart, you know, to watch them suffer in such a way. Oh, no, darn, no, don't, don't, don't go Mm -hmm. back. But it is... It is something that is a part of sustainability because it prevents long-term sustainability in the financial system for us. I don't really care about banks and that side of the financial system. Trust me, if they're in trouble, they have a government that gives them money. The government will bail them out. Right, right. So I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about all of us. I'm worried about everybody listening on this show and those in their families. We, We have to do things differently. I like to buy things in bulk when I can. 
that was never that was something I couldn't do in the past. I save money because I buy something that we use a lot in larger quantities and it works. A lot of families can't do that. Poor tax. Or I buy a nicer boot now to use for work because I have to have steel toe boots. And I instead of buying a $30 pair of boots every year for the next 20 years, I can buy one pair of $120 boots and that's done. Unless I get a, you know, unless I suddenly get a fashion sense and think that I need to change it to look good, which in case anybody's wondering will never actually happen. I have a pair of boots. I don't have to worry about it anymore. But in the past, I had to buy one every year, every year which is not sustainable. I'm buying less quality more often instead of one that lasts my life. Also, poor tech, because we, were, because we just don't have the ability. You get in trouble. We talked about going to jail and having bails bonds. You get a parking ticket. You can't afford the parking ticket. Next thing you know, you got a warrant for a freaking parking ticket. It's actually happened to me. Unacceptable. It really is. It's unacceptable. Yeah, so I agree with that. I, got, I was at, at the courthouse parked it um you know it's metered parking you put your i think it was like 75 cents in they gave you so much time on the meter i'm in the courthouse takes a little longer than i thought it would i probably missed the meter by 12 minutes it wasn't long like it wasn't a horribly long time but i had a ticket when i came out threw it in the glove box totally forgot about it not that i couldn't afford to pay it but i literally totally forgot like maybe three to four weeks later maybe maybe let's say two months because it was the weather had changed i was in up in gladwin doing a wedding, hit a deer with a company vehicle. Now, Gladwin is about 70 miles from Saginaw, give or take, depending on the route you take and whatnot. It may be longer, but it was it was far enough that when the cop came, because I had to call 911 to make the police report, so they knew I hit a deer, blah, 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 blah. The cop said, you know you have a warrant in Saginaw? And I went, no. And he said, well, it's a 50 or under, so I'm not going to take you in. I'm not going to, you know, if you were 50 miles or closer, I'd have to. He's like, but just what's it for? says a parking ticket and i was like yeah he's like go take there he, he chewed me out for about how stupid it was and he had every right to it was dumb <laughs> it was a it, i think the, and i think the fine was like 25 bucks i had a warrant michael for 25 dollars yeah it creates this negative feedback loop could you it, imagine if i got arrested on that warrant went to jail on the weekend so i can't see a judge until on monday lost my job for 25 dollars hmm yeah, and that happens every single day. That ah! is not uncommon. Not uncommon. Oh, I mean, because here's disgusting. the deal. Even if it's a parking ticket, if you go back to work and go, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I, I was held for a parking ticket. They, they're going to go, you were in jail? Because the concept of you were in jail makes you a bad person no matter what it is. Yeah, jail, so, jail has a really bad stigma with it. Right. So they're not getting the job back. So uh, anyways, that is... Hopefully, our ramblings today help people get a better understanding of what I mean by poor tax, that we can avoid a, a lot of these. Sometimes it sucks because we have to do a little less for a period of time. We have to rearrange finances. I had to go through a complete and or complete reorder of everything to get restructured. It was very unpleasant, and it was for like three years. It but, takes time. But... When I came back out, I'm in a better position. Can I do better? Absolutely. Absolutely. And when we buy less, less is produced. When we look at what we already have and see if we can use that instead, less is produced. In the meantime, take that $15 you would have taken to go buy this other item, stick it in the saving. Well, I mean, yeah. Could you do better with three extra $3,000 a year, Michael? Absolutely. 
I so, mean, could you, who couldn't? So if you, if you look at your finances and you make 30 grand a year, and if you could do, if you could be better off with an extra 10%, then stop wasting and import taxes and save it. Yeah. And I promise everybody who's listening that if you did have that nest egg and you were able to keep it there, the stresses kind of move off to the side. They aren't quite as dramatic because we are always in a situation that is almost life-threatening and that goes away. That allows you to be mentally sustainable, that you can now think a little more clearly. You can do a lot more things when you're not constantly stressed about tomorrow. The whole time I was in college, I worried about tomorrow. Every month was, can I make enough to make rent? And that was a hard time. And I know so many millions of people are in the same boat every single day. And some, some don't see this. And that's really the only reason why I'm ta- we're talking about it today, because there's some people out there who don't see it. And I want to make sure we discuss it. And, you know, this might be a yearly or bi-yearly topic because it is extremely important to long-term sustainability, both in the market with people buying less as they should and with us just being mentally sound and okay to move forward in life and be able to think so clearly we're happy. That is an important piece. Now, just before I close this up, I just want to say a couple of things. Poverty in the United States. In 2001, it was 11.6% of Americans. 37.9 million people were under the poverty mark. And by the way, that's a much lower number than people think if you Google it. In 2022, that number has already gone up to 12.8%. When it comes to children, 16.9% of children in this country live in in a home that's impoverished. There are impoverished states where those numbers for people that are impoverished or in those states are over 20%. Kentucky, Arkansas, New Mexico, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama. The poverty rate is over 20% in those states. That's like one in every five people you'd be, minimum. That is under the, the number they call poverty, which, by the way, is much lower than people think. So I just want to point that out, take that information as you will, and think about the decisions we make each and every day. One of the things we do in in sustainability is stop and think before acting. And hopefully this gives you some information to help stop feeding these predatory lending companies, these, you know, buy here, pay here's, all these things. And I get it. It's hard. And we're all in situations where sometimes we don't have a choice. Buying a house, buying a car, buying a loaf of bread. But at least as long as we know, just like anything else in sustainability, as long as we know, we can continue to do our best to make the best decisions possible to put ourselves in a good space. And hopefully, hopefully this helped a few people. That's all we had for this week. If you like this episode, share it with a friend or family, maybe post it on social media. You want to help realistic sustainability? Well, you know you're going to hear me say five-star reviews. It's been a long time, so I know I'm just kind of speaking to the choir. But if you get an opportunity, go to iTunes. That's the one. That's the one that roots down to all of them or filters down to all of them and leave a positive five-star review. It makes my day. We also started doing product reviews. You can go onto the site, click a link, see how we're doing. I think the most recent one I just did was detergent sheets. I like them, and it makes my cost of laundry very, very close to zero. So anyways, 
when you click on that, just know that we were not paid by companies to review those. These are just things that I've bought. And we give you the link because if you buy them through there, we get like 4% and it just goes to the show. So thank you so very much for listening. We really do appreciate it. And remember, we, we get together each week to get a little bit better. Little bit, little bit, big bit. I'm Mike. And I'm the bakery brother, Nick. And we will see you next week. <laughs>